Amos chapter number five. Today we will be in Amos five and six. We'll read chapter five together. Today is Family Sunday once again. All of our volunteers are out today who could have done uh, Bridge Kids, and so we needed to do Family Sunday. Um, I think there are uh, kids bulletins at the back if they need something to help them stay engaged during the sermon. Um, and so those are there. Amos chapter number five, beginning with verse number one. And this is what God's word says. Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left. And that which out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord, the house of Israel, seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel and do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him, and you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing. In all the streets they shall say, alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning and to welling those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be welling, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Who, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. 
and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring to me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikuth, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. And I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You may have your seats. A few years ago, there was a man who was a car washer in Brazil. This man had been murdered over a weekend. And so the Brazilian police called who they supposed to be the brother of the man that was murdered to, to tell them or to tell him that his brother was dead. That brother went to the morgue and wrongly identified the body as his own brother. There happened, since this brother had identified this man as his brother, the family went on to plan a funeral for this supposed dead brother. The man who was supposedly had been murdered, that car washer, learned of the mistake from an acquaintance who came up to the street to tell him that his family was setting off for his funeral. He tried to tell them he was still alive by telephoning, but his call had been dismissed as a cruel prank. So on the day of his funeral, he showed up. And of course, like you, People yelled, shrieked, fainted, and all of the light because they thought the dead had visited them. When he showed up, when that man showed up who supposedly was, was being funeralized, a friend told him that there was a coffin and that he was inside of it. And he told them, guys, I'm alive. Pinch me. Imagine going to a funeral that's supposed to be for you, but yet you are alive. This is for me and the worship team. Friends, this is what Israel would have felt like in Amos chapter 5. Amos says, hear this word of the Lord that I am taking up a lamentation for you. A lamentation is a funeral song, a funeral poem. It, it, it was used anytime there was someone who had died. And Amos comes and opens up this word to Israel to say, I'm lamenting for you. Because, and the only reason he would lament was because they were dead. And like that brother who had uh, been wrongly identified, they, they're there and they're saying, guys, Amos, I'm alive. We're alive. Pinch us. We're alive. But yet, Amos is saying, you don't get it. God has declared war on you, and you are as good as dead. And so now, 
Amos says, I'm taking up a lamentation for you, fallen to rise no more is Israel. So the first thing we see here, I've got two points for you this morning. First of all, I, I want you to see that God weeps. God weeps. Now, as I get into our outline this morning, I want to remind you of something that we've talked about before. Uh, one of the uh, rhetorical and literary devices in Hebrew uh, culture and Hebrew literature is something, a, a technique called chiasm. Chiasm is where they kind of go like this to make their point. The point is in the middle. So they make a point at the top and the bottom, then they make a second point and a fourth point, and then the third point is their main point. And so today, as we go through this outline, it's going to seem like Brandon is all over the place, but it's because we are dealing with a chiasm this morning, where he deals with one theme at the top and bottom, another theme at the second and fourth part, and then he gets to his main part in the middle. So walk with me. God weeps. He, he begins, Amos begins this chapter with a description of the coming judgment in verses 1 through 3 and 16 and 17. As we've said, the text opens with this lament, this funeral song. Why is he singing this sad song? Because he says, Israel is fallen and will not rise again. She has been forsaken or jilted. And this lamentation would have been shocking, as I said, for the children of Israel, because they are not dead since they can hear the words of Amos. But Amos realizes that since the Lord has pronounced judgment, they are as good as dead. And so we see the description of judgment, but, but look also at the desire of the judge. Verses 4 through 6. Here's the common refrain. And I think this is the heart of our passage this morning. Here's the heart of the judge, the desire of the judge. Seek the Lord and live. These would be great words, joyous words, happy words for those who just heard a lament over them from a prophet. That you don't have to die, you can still live. And the desire of the judge, Yahweh, is that they would seek him and live. This, this friends, is, is an invitation and an exhortation by the Lord himself. He is calling his people to repent. What does it mean to seek the Lord in this context? The text answered this question for us. Look at verse 5. But do not seek Bethel. And do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Bathsheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Remember, we said last week that Bethel and Gilgal were places of uh, idol worship. That's where shrines were set up for cultic worship. And so God is saying, to seek me means to turn away from your idolatrous worship. To, to seek me is to wholly devote yourself to the Lord. And watch this. Their devotion would be demonstrated by their obedience to God's law. The Lord says, if you seek me, the result is life. If, if they seek the Lord, this lament can be turned into joy. Friends, I'm convinced that we too should weep over those who are dead in their sins. Because the Bible describes them in Ephesians 2 as children of wrath. Their destiny is death. This, and this should break our heart. You just sang the words, Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. And what breaks the heart of God. Is death upon people that he's created. Our weeping then should lead us to witnessing, to tell others that they need to seek the Lord and they can live. And the only way to seek the Lord now is through Jesus Christ, who is the visible representation of God himself. 
And the promise that we have is to all who turn to Christ by faith, the promise is we will have eternal life. And so this word is still for us today, seek the Lord and live. So, so, so in this desire of the judge, his first desire is for them to seek God. But there's also a second desire of the judge. Not only should they seek God, but they should also seek good. Look at verse 14. I didn't make it up. Here it is. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Verse 15, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. And that it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of just Joseph. Friends, the Lord has made it plain to us himself that those that seek God will seek good. Amen. To seek good is to hate evil. To seek good is to establish justice in the gate. Remember that the gate was the place where court matters were decided, disputes were settled. It was the Jewish courtroom. And friends, to seek good is to be a lover, seeker, promoter, and advocate of justice. What do we mean by justice? Here, here's how I think Amos is using the idea of justice. I think he means honest, fair, and equitable treatment of all people without distinction. Honest, fair, and equitable treatment of all people without distinction. And so he says, those that seek God will seek good. What exactly was the issue? So, so we move then in this first movement of, of uh, God weeping. We see the description of the judgment, the desire of the judge. But look also at the details of the legal injustice. Verse 7 and verse 10 through 13. In verse 7, they are accused with turning justice into wormwood. Wormwood was a plant that was very bitter. And so, so God has accused them of turning justice into something that's very bitter. In other words, justice was supposed to be sweet. And he says, you've taken that which was supposed to be sweet and turned it into bitterness. He says, you've cast down, verse 7, righteousness to the earth. In other words, you've set righteousness down and you've walked away from it. Verses 10 through 13 give more specifics of this injustice. Verse 10, he says, you hate him who reproves in the gate. This means that they hated the person that carried out justice in the city gate. Friends, this still happens today. Okay, let me give you an example. There was a district attorney in the city of Dallas by the name of Craig Watkins. Craig Watkins, his job was to prosecute on behalf of the government. He did that. But he, he also said, there have been some prosecutions, some decisions made by this office where we have imprisoned and robbed of liberty people who were innocent. And so he made it his task. He started a task force to, to, to get the evidence or to take DNA that was just sitting uh, in, in some storehouse to say, let's get this and let's make this wrong right. And so they had numbers of people that, had DNA, that, that didn't have DNA evidence then, but they, now they had the technology available to see that these men were never involved and the crimes that they had been accused of. And here is how the city handled that. Some in the city, that's not his job. He's supposed to put people in prison. And so now he had enemies, not because, uh, 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 not because he did anything wrong in the sense of, of morals. It wasn't because of scandal, but he created enemies because he tried to do the right thing. They were people who hated 
They reproved the man who reproved in the gate. He says, this is your heart. And only that, but you abhor him who speaks the truth. They were a lover of liars. They loathed the person who spoke with integrity. Honesty was looked down upon. They hated honest witnesses. Verse 11. Here's, uh, all we're giving you is the examples of the legal injustice in Israel. They trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him. God charges his own people with the crime of putting an undue taxation burden on the poor. Here's what was happening. They were taxing the poor in order to make themselves wealthier. The wealthier were getting wealthy on the backs of the poor. And God says this is an injustice and it will incur my wrath. So friends here in Amos, this isn't Brandon, this is God condemning legal injustice and economic injustice. Now, let me, let me, someone told me one time that whenever Brandon comes from behind his pulpit, he's about to get on one of his soapboxes. So I'm going to stay behind the pulpit. <laughs> we live in a day now where Christians say the church just needs to preach the gospel and leave matters of justice out of the pulpit. I preach, my, my goal when I get up here every Sunday is to preach the Bible. And I want you to hear from God, not from Brandon. But even when Brandon exposes and, or exposits a text like this today, it's he has an agenda. And really what he needs to do is just preach the gospel and the rest will take care of itself. And that's what the church said when, when we when we uh, uh, uh Rubber stamp slavery. They were preaching. Listen, it was some of my Southern Baptist brethren back way back then. They could preach the gospel. But the reason the Southern Baptist denomination came into being is because they believed in slavery and the Northern Baptists did not. See, I actually agree with that statement. We ought to preach the gospel. Now, here's, here's the difference. I don't believe I ought to just preach the gospel. I believe I ought to preach a just gospel. Wow. I'll wait on you this time. He said that thing. <laughs> We've been through this before, but let me remind you, I don't really like the term social justice. I think we ought to just call it justice. If you want to put an adjective before, which I really get nervous about, is you ought to call it gospel justice if you're a Christian. Because justice is, in, justice is inherent in the gospel. Take the justice out of the gospel and you have nothing. And so the, the gospel, the, it not only does it justify us and satisfy the wrath of God, but the gospel is what we need every day as a Christian. And so there's gospel truth, and I'm going to preach that. But there's also the implications of that truth, because we're not to just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. The gospel not only saves us, but it sanctifies us as well. Friends, my hope today is that you are hearing and learning that this idea of we ought to just preach the gospel and the church ought to stay out of matters of justice, is, is that's a lie from the pits of hell. God right here in the Bible says, I'm going to deal with it and I'm going to destroy you because of your injustice towards others. And guess what? This part of the Bible is just as inspired as John 3.16. Wow. 
Where am I at? And so I am convinced that fully devoted followers of Christ should be the primary group learning and listening concerning issues of justice. And then we should use our Christian influence and means to right all manners of injustice. The Lord says in verse 11 that the judgment of those who unrighteously tax the poor will not be able to enjoy the material advantages that they gain from extorting the poor. He says, you've built really nice houses, but you're not going to be able to live in them. You've planted vineyards, but you will not enjoy the drink, the wine that comes from the vineyard. So he's detailed the legal injustices for us, but then, remember, chiasm, the, the, the heart of his point is in the middle, verses 8 and 9. We have the declaration of the sovereignty of God. What Amos does here is he gives a contrast between Israel and God. He says, you are turning justice into wormwood, but I turn darkness into morning. In other words, he's saying, you destroy, I create. I made these constellations. These constellations, by the way, were symbols of pagan gods. And Amos here is establishing that God is the creator of those constellations. Therefore, he is the true God, and he alone is worthy of worship. And because he is the creator, he is sovereign. In other words, he's the supreme ruler of the universe. So God sovereignly creates, but not only does he sovereignly create, watch this, he also sovereignly destroys. Why would Amos highlight God's destructive ability here? Because whenever God destroys, it's because he's pouring his judgment out on people. And so what Amos is doing is establishing God's right to judge. God weeps. I'm moving on. God warns. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. Woe warning to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. The people of Israel, God here is warning them concerning their false hopes. He says, you're waiting on this day of the Lord because they, they were waiting on the day of the Lord because they expected that great day to be the day when God would bring victory over all of Israel's oppressors and enemies. It would be the day that they would experience great blessing. It would be a day of brightness and light. It would be the day of a great rescue from this world. The, the, that would be the day when they could escape this sin-filled world. The day of the Lord was Israel's great hope. And Amos says your hope is misplaced. You, he, he, they are right that the day of the Lord will be the day when God would crush his enemies. What they failed to understand is that because of the injustice that was going on in the community, they had become God's enemies. And so, what they were to realize is that actually you are the ones who will be defeated and destroyed on that great day. This day will not be what you think it will be for you. It will be darkness and not light. He describes for them, he says, on that day you may try to run from a lion only to meet a bear. Or, he says, or you may try to run the calamity and the, the destruction that I'm, that's coming up on the land only to run into a house where you think there is safety, but you'll put your hand on the wall and be bitten by a serpent. 
And so Amos' point is the day of the Lord will actually be the day where God's wrath is poured out upon you. Not only did they have a false hope in the day of the Lord, but they also had a false hope in their sacrificial system. Verses 21 through 27. Look, at me, look with me at verse number 21. These are intense words of condemnation. Verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. So take away, me all, take away from me all that noise y'all making. The melody of your harps, I will not listen. God says clearly that I hate your worship. He despises despises their worship. He says, your solemn assemblies. In other words, when you gather for corporate worship, it brings me no joy. He says, I don't want your offerings. Your sacrifices are meaningless. So he says, I don't even want to hear your singing. He says, tell the musicians to quit and resign because I'm not listening. God explicitly rejects, rejects every form of their worship. Their sin had separated them from their God so that their worship now was merely ritualistic. The question is, why would God reject their worship? Wonderful question. The reason God rejects their worship is because their profession of faith and their practices of their faith were incompatible. Their walk was different from their talk. They claimed to love God, but they hated their brother. That's why in verse 24, he says, but contrast, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. God says to them, until you do right by your brother and your sister, your worship means nothing to me. Matter of fact, I don't want it. You can keep it. And friends, I pray that this is not the case for our church today. My fear for the church today is that we have become so apathetic to the issues of the poor, the underrepresented, the unrepresented, the misrepresented, the immigrant, the orphan, that God has become deaf to our worship. And I believe that it is incumbent on fully devoted followers of Christ that their love for God be demonstrated and how they love their neighbor. That's not original with Brandon. I got that from 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother who he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So here God warns them in this section against false hope, but then he also warns them against false security. That's chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Verse number 1, he says, Woe to those who are at ease. And Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. Verse 4, chapter 6, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and cows from the midst of the stall. Ooh, that's some good eating. Who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music. Who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. God here addresses in chapter 6 those who are at ease and have found security in the materials of this world. They, he, he says, 
Y'all are going on like nothing's happening or nothing will happen. Y'all are partying regularly with good music and good drink. And God warns them that you should not be at ease. The prophecies that you have heard should make you uneasy. They should produce fear in your heart. And that fear should lead you to turn back to your God. And in verse 6, he says, I'm, you are condemned because you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Joseph here stands for Israel. And friends, I'm convinced too that we too should grieve over the coming destruction of the wicked. It should grieve us so much that we make it our life aim to spread the fame of God's name to the end of the earth. I'm done. So what is the response to today's word? First, I believe we need to examine our hearts in regards to the plight of the poor, all manners of economic injustice and legal injustice. Have we too become complacent and apathetic that messages like these from Amos, we agree with them, but we do nothing once we leave these doors? We need to examine our hearts this morning. Is the poor just the fault of the poor? The problems that face the poor should become our problem. And that we now seek ways to love them well. How do we respond to today's word, I believe it is appropriate for us to mourn and grieve the death of those who will die in their sins. For some of us, we have our theology has made us complacent. We believe in election and predestination and all these other things that we think now, whoever's going to be saved, they'll be saved. Well, our evangelists are not. They're going to be saved because they are the elect. That's a cop-out. That's a misunderstanding of election. Yes, God elects people to be a part of his family. But God has ordained that the means by which the elect will respond in faith is through the proclamation of the gospel. I don't think we mourn and grieve enough in the church. The Lord himself wept. And so our weeping ought to lead us to witnessing to a dying world. But I think also, we can also respond by repenting for our complacency and apathy to injustice in our world, especially injustice in the areas of the, our economy and in the courtroom. The things that we see on the news now, we just, the, we, the, the easy way out is just to describe it as fake news. And it's just the liberal media. And really, our goal there should be to learn the truth. We should be truth seekers. And not just be people, well, that's just the liberal media. I don't believe it. And so we ought to seek the truth, learn the truth, and then do something about it. Number four. I think we can respond to today's word by committing to activities that let justice roll down like an ever-flowing stream. Commit to activities that let justice roll down like an ever-flowing stream. Here's the most important, and I'm giving you some, some practical things that you can do. Here's what's the most important part of this. Listen. 
learn. We live in a day and age where there are people who believe that there is no sort of injustice in America. We live in a day and age where we believe that everybody has equal opportunity and if everybody just uh, works hard that they can do whatever they want to do. And friends, my exhortation to you today is to listen and learn. Have conversations with uh, underrepresented groups, groups of people that have been uh, disenfranchised, that have been oppressed. You need to be having conversations where you don't go in there trying to justify yourself or the group that you stand with, but you go there to learn and listen. The problem in the church today is everybody wants a solution, but we're trying to solve the different problems. And so what we need to do is learn to listen to one another so that we can identify the actual problem. And so how do we address matters of injustice? We have to learn what these matters actually are in our world today. Specifically, what's addressed in our text today is economic injustice and legal injustice. Let me address the legal injustice. Maybe for some of us, we need to be involved in prison ministry where we go and visit those in prison. That's what Jesus described as the least of these. He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. But I don't know how to do that. There are people and organizations out there that will equip you and train you to do it in a way that is effective, in a way that's safe. Your job is you need to go and find them. We, we Google everything else. Google that. Not only maybe should some of us engage in prison ministry, but as the church, we should be advocates of prison reform. We also can find ministries and organizations and learn how we can help with re entry of those who have been released from prison. There are people that went into prison 20 years ago and life is completely different from when they went in. How else can we help? I'm going to mess with y'all's money now. Donate toward legal aid for those who cannot afford it. Donate toward legal help for the poor. I believe one of the things that God has put on my heart is that I believe that as the Bridge Church, we can use some of our benevolence money to help get reasonable and reputable representation for those who cannot afford it. And I think we will be good stewards of our benevolence money and we would be loving our neighbors well. Our goal would not to be just to get innocent people off or, or, or whatever, or keep innocent from, or keep the guilty from getting killed. No, our, remember, the, 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 the definition that we gave of justice was honest, fair, and equitable treatment of all people without distinction. And if someone has committed a crime, equitable treatment means they, under the law that they too are punished. So that's, that, the goal here is not to get everybody clear that's poor but it's to make sure that they receive the representation that everybody else gets. I believe, this is your pastor, that one way we can meet or, or, or that we can seek legal justice is to restore the right to vote for those who have paid their debt to society. Why must a person continue to be penalized and punished after they have paid the debt to their society? 
If nothing else, if you disagree with me, I ask for you just to think on it. Why do I feel this way about this particular issue? And here's what. Here's what we can do. Let's have a discussion. I said in our new members class last week, don't ask me why I got on this, but I said one of the problems in our world, and it has infected the churches, we don't know how to disagree anymore. You, you disagree with me, that means one of us is evil and one of us is righteous. We disagree now, you got to go find you a new church. Because I think people ought to get the votes ought to be restored. And I, and I just wonder how much we break the heart of God when we don't handle conflict in a Christian manner. Economic injustice. One way that you can help there is by donating to the Benevolence Fund here at your local church. Emily takes calls all the time from people outside of our church seeking help. And because we believe in the, 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 uh, the great commandment to not only love God, but to love our neighbor, we look for ways to help I'll tell you right now, we are $2,000 over our benevolence budget. Now, our principle here is the budget is a guide and it's a tool, but it is not a mandate. So if we go over budget because we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, praise God. And so one way that you, you can, can, something concrete that you can do to help is to keep giving. And if you got more to give, you can give it, one way you can give it is to your local church. And we help those who are in need. But, but Brandon, are you enabling? I hate that question. The command is to love your neighbor. And so you stop giving because you don't want to be part of enabling people. What you need to just be worried about is God, God, am I loving my neighbor as myself? Yeah, yeah. Now, let me answer your question. We do everything in our power not to enable. We ask questions, we get history, and we say, how can we come alongside of you so that you can become financially independent? And so maybe that means you need a budget. And we've got people in our church that will help you with a budget, how to stick to your budget. We, 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 we will do everything in our power to help people. And sometimes it means that we, one thing that we need to do is we, we say, we're going to help you just stop the bleeding. Some, that's the most crucial thing, right, medical people? Thank you. Stop the bleeding and let's get you stable. So now that you can live prosperously. And so, yes, and we have some success stories where we have come alongside people and helped them to get on a road to recovery. And so to answer your question, yes, we do do that. We do do that. We do that. <laughs> but church, it's time out for sitting on the sidelines. I'm amazed at how much the world knows how much influence the church has, but yet I think we are poor stewards of our influence in the world. That's why you, you have a politician now that they feel like if I just mention God, I've got to vote because they know how much influence we have. And so all I'm saying is, let's use our influence to the glory of God. I've got one more for you. One way, and this comes from the former president of Moody Bible Institute, a middle-aged white guy, all right? This ain't Brandon. He says, one way 
that we can be advocates of justice? Vote. One way that we can be advocates of justice is to vote. Then that same middle-aged white guy from Moody Bible Institute who used to be the president there says, before you vote, learn the issues. He said it, not me. I do agree with him. Learn the issues because look, what God, when God destroys nations, it's over things like economic injustice, legal injustice. There's a bill trying to get passed through the Senate right now regarding prison reform. Guess who needs to be lobbying for that bill? Christians. And so what Dr. Nyquist said, former president of Moody Bible Institute, is that you need to vote, but before you vote, learn the issues. Learn the candidates. Learn their history. And our society, the way we exert influence a lot of time, the way we change the system is through our vote. And don't let whatever is going on about Russia discourage you. I believe my vote still matters. And so my goal in this series, we've got two more sermons in this series. But my goal in this series is to show you that God has a big heart regarding matters of justice. And we, he holds us as his people accountable for how we deal, for how we love one another. Let me sum up the book of Amos for you real quick. We would need the book of Amos if we would simply love God and love others. And those who love God love others. And so now, maybe if I'm love, not loving others well, if I become apathetic and complacent about the plight and the issues of others, maybe the issue is that I really don't love God as much as I think I do. And that's how I end my sermon. Let's stand. Come on, worship team.